and welcome to Hearsay Podcast number 79. My guest today is the wonderful Erica Dunn. You might have seen Erica in one of her many bands, Tropical Fuckstorm, ModCon, Harmony or her solo project Palm Springs. Uh, For this podcast we mainly talk about Tropical Fuckstorm who have a new album out and a movie and are on tour at the moment. So please go check out their website for tour dates. They are a force. Go and support them and watch the movie. There are several mentions of our mutual friend Tom Lincoln in this chat, um, who you might remember from episode number 27. He is the genius behind the band Harmony. So if you haven't heard that chat, go and check that out. He's clearly amazing. Now, I'm aware that sometimes I tell the same stories over and over. So just a warning that I tell the going on to a supergrass story again. Um, I suppose it was just a real pivotal moment for me in my life where I had to decide whether or not to do music for real or not. Anyway, I'm sorry if you've heard it before. I am a broken record. Yo soy un disco comprato. Uh, I learned that from a Beck song. It means I'm a broken record. Um, Erica's show story was illustrated by George Carapas. Thank you, George. It's absolutely perfect. Uh, If you would like to do an illustration for one of my hearsay guest stories, please get in touch through my Instagram or Facebook page. As always, you can see all of these illustrations on Insta at Hearsay Podcast or on Hearsay on Facebook. Thank you again so much for listening. This is Hearsay Podcast number 79 with Erica Dunn. Hey, thanks so much for coming on my podcast. I'm so excited. (laughs) So excited to chat. I'm always so excited to get the girls on. Oh, yeah. And just to chew the fat, you know? Exactly. Gas bag. We have so many friends in common and we you and I have never really hung out much. So this is a nice opportunity to hang out. Yeah, we just had that one little time in the tour van for like, I just remember one little jaunt. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. That's all we get. It's not, not enough. Well, it's not enough, but we'll have more. I can feel it. Yeah. You've got so many bands, but I really want to talk about your um, Tropical Fuckstorm release and upcoming tour. Um, how's your existential crisis of not being able to do anything going and, and <laughs> coming out of that? <laughs> well, it's um, it's pretty funny because, I mean, actually, we're kind of flat chat. I mean, we weren't obviously this whole scenario is so completely ghastly and just like a tundra, you know, we were just calling it the tundra and just no visibility, no um, way out, no way to work out how to go forward or make anything or, or and no nothing coming back at you, just, um, yeah, the abyss. Yeah. But um, I kind of got through that okay. I kind of had some things I was like – just making myself work when I was really, um, you know, just kind of even going through the motions sometimes or whatever. But but because we already had done this last year and through that, like, we were writing and I was doing lots of writing for ModCon and I was doing lots of back and forth with Gaz for TFS. This year 
um, just focusing on getting the releases out. And, you know, it was good because regardless of COVID or not being able to play a gig, it's like the, the fucking album's coming out anyway. No one can stop that. That's like right. no one can stop you, you know, put, putting out the record. And so that felt really good. And towards the end of the lockdown, TFS, we just kind of cooked up this mad plan because we thought we were never going to play a gig again, you know, like a month ago. Yeah, you know, whatever thought they'd ever play a gig again. Um, we sort of organised uh, a sort of streaming gig or something like we would film it and um, work on that. So we got some permits. And so towards the end of the lockdown, I felt like I had this golden ticket because I could actually get out of my tiny house, my share house, and... Um, go out to the bush, which just felt like, ah, so incredible after being locked down for so long and um, really lucky. So we were actually kind of working on stuff just towards the end of it. And yeah, it's been actually now this mad ambitious thing because instead of doing a streaming thing, because now everyone's out in the world and people can play shows, we just decided to accidentally make a movie. So (laughs) um, we've been working on that. (laughs) I'm so excited about the movie. I want to know more about it. Are you able to talk about it? Is it kind of like shut down until it comes? Nah, I mean, it's coming out tomorrow. And essentially it's just this ridiculous sort of, we didn't really realise how ambitious, you know, I feel like a lot of people like, oh, yeah, we're streaming a gig in lockdown or whatever. And that might have been four or five songs, you know, or one, one setting, I think. You know, people were still doing like amazing stuff, but we just suddenly, we just don't do anything in halves. And once we all made the effort to just get up into where Gaz and Fee live, it was just like, we just had all these crazy ideas and then set them kind of in motion. And then when we got there to film it, it was like, we had three days and a crew of, you know, five, wow, um, including a sound technician and stuff. And then it was just up to us to fucking do it though. Like we were just, it was so crazy. We were just lugging gear. We were like, you know, we, we said we would make it, you know, some songs by the swamp, you know, like it was just such a good idea. It's like oh, carrying amps and all this <laughs> shit down into the billabong and there's heaps of mosquitoes oh. and it was like looking around for snakes and, and then same goes for like, we were like, we'll do this crazy, like end of, uh, end of the world rock and roll set in the barn. And it'll be like, the last pub rocky before the whole world explodes. We're like, yeah, it sounds so good. And then, like, we start doing that. And then, like, not only is there, like, this ancient Bedford bus in the barn that's never been moved, we started <laughs> to move this fucking bus. Guys had a petrol tank out of a Coke bottle and we're spritzing petrol into the carburetor to try and get the thing to move. <laughs> and we didn't know it would even move. We're just like, oh, hopefully this moves because, like, all the crew is here. We didn't think about this. And then on top of that, we we finally got the fucking bus to move and set it all up. It's just ridiculous, like backbreaking, stupid day. Is this is this in the film? Can I just ask? Is the bus moving in the film? Yeah, a bit of that is Good. in there, and it's just this ridiculous kind of montage, to be honest. Um, awesome. But then, you know, we get, then like oh, sweating, or oh, hungover from the day before. It's like oh no, now we've got to really play this crazy rock and roll gig, and we haven't even really had time to rehearse, and it's kind of going to be like should be good you know try and do that and so I'm kind of stressing about that and then on top of that we just didn't realize like or maybe it was a little bit like the elephant in the room like no one talk about it but the fact that there was only one powerpoint and only one one grid of power to the barn for the whole fucking thing and Gaz is just like, just don't, we just, we just set it up. We're just, we're plugging in so many lights, like piggybacking shit on top of this stuff and all of our amps. And then we get through half of the first song and the, everything cuts out. 
and it was just like oh no this is over like we cut this whole thing all this work it's probably you know we probably just have to clock off now and then some miracle it was actually just one of the dogs had just slightly tripped one of the um <laughs> power boards and like one of the little four prong crappy little power boards and that was it and then we just like oh let's plug that back in it was completely fine wow that must have been such a shock everyone would have just been like oh fuck and then oh it's fine it's just the dog yeah and I mean, to be honest, I was kind of like, whoo, phew, we don't have to do the set now because we don't know how to play the songs anymore. <laughs> but anyway, we did it and um, it was funny. Do you reckon that like being in a band with um, Gaz and Fee, who are like the most gung-ho, like let's get this shit done kind of people, helps you be able to do stuff like that and not stress too much? Because I feel like they just always work it out. I mean... There's certainly that attitude, like, you know, they're, they're both, they're so inspirational in that that's just, they're so gung-ho, you know, they just, that's their whole life and they've orchestrated their lives. So that's what it is. They've moved to the bush. So they can just afford to not just, they can just focus on what they're doing and, um, yeah, pedal to the metal all the time. But um, it's also just completely mad. Like there's lots of, this is very strange kind of pendulum between like we shoot for the moon and then we just go hard and anything we talk about in our silly whatever discussion we're having, we're just like, what if we did this or this or this or this? And then, um, but then there's also like if that falls on its ass, there's also just like, oh, well, fuck it, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's really great. It's a very strange combination of uh, ambition and absolutely not giving a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I, I mean I love it it's 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 great to be around and we kind of egg each other on as well so you know sky's the limit or otherwise we just fucking do nothing whatever that's cool awesome as well. <laughs> so during lockdown were you like um you said you had some stuff to work on were you doing modcon and tropical fuck some stuff or were you just sort of trying to keep busy doing other things um, well, certainly doing that in the in 2020s lockdown and then both records were sort of done by the beginning of this year. Um, so I just made up a new project. I've been really trying to um, get behind finishing a, a Palm Springs record, which I've been trying to do for ages. So it was kind of nice balance. Like I was obviously um, doing working to us like teaching from home and doing some other shit and just like you know the effort of just keeping morale up we you know yeah. living in small quarters with people and be like whatever but yeah trying to try to chip away at doing some palm spring stuff and um got got a little way with that um but as soon as lockdowns ended I haven't had a one second to scratch myself so what do you teach Ages ago, I spent a long time with the department in the new arrivals program being like a, a literacy English teacher. Ah. And yeah, it was a great job. I loved it. I almost did it for I was like nine years or something. I was there. Um, but then, yeah, just touring commitments. I kind of had a bit of a sliding door scenario. I was like, I can't keep doing both. It's too, too much. And yeah. then, um, yeah, so I left that. And then really luckily just in this year when music was honestly just so flat as a tack and just no no support or nothing as like an old colleague scooped me and said oh you'd be really great to um work at like a, a specialist kind of school in in town and um yeah I was like a literacy support person amazing yeah. that's and so cool it's really great and rewarding yeah so nice yeah, yeah. I had yeah. like one of those sliding door moments it just reminded me I was studying um 
you know, like back when first out of high school, I was studying um, linguistics and I had to choose whether or not to do my exams and keep doing uni or go on tour with Supergrass. And I just oh, went on shit. tour with Supergrass and never went back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It's really hard. I mean, I remember this. I remember the moment, you know, like we're just so conditioned to be like, you got to fucking have your bread and butter before you do your bullshit hobby or whatever. Yeah. Like this kind of framework of musicianship just being coming always dead set last in, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I can remember people at the time like saying, if you quit the department, you'll you'll lose your increments. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll lose your increments, like you'll lose your pay packet. And I was just like, oh, I just do not give a fuck about that. But I can do that another day or I worry about my increments later. Yeah. What a funny, um, what a funny term. You'll lose your increments. It's such a like government term. But they were literally thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's how they were thinking. And I wow. was like, I don't, what you're saying is not a sentence. I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Um, hey, can yeah. we go back and talk about, about you as a kid and did you love music? Like how did you, how did you start being obsessed with music? I just was, uh, not, no one in my family is very musical and, um, I had like, I don't even know, maybe I was just a real loud mouth or like, you know, always nonstop just singing jingles or just being quite annoying. But um, mum did try to send me to some piano lessons um, but basically the woman was like terrifying and I just remember her house being like she had heaps of fish and I remember it kind of being like we're in a fish tank, everything's really quiet, like really bad environment for a kid, you know, it's like everything, you can't touch anything, it's really scary. And like I just remember being like I, I have get clammy hands, I'm nervous all the time and it's Palm Springs is what's going on. And then I just remember her berating me all the time for having like little sweaty, dirty hands. Aww. And she was just like, it was so unfair. And she'd just be like, you're touching the piano, go and wash your hands. And I'd come back, I'd be like, she made me no- more nervous. So I'd be like fucking springing all over the shop. Oh, no. And then I was just like, it was a full on disaster. So I was, don't rem- remember really learning anything, but I remember being like, you know, it took me ages to come back to wanting to learn theory, I think. Yeah. Um, or like really seriously commit to sort of like understanding the language of music or, you know, the actual kind of structures of music. Um, but what were you listening to as a kid? Like what were you what were you into? Well, look, my first single that I remember buying from Brushes in Forest Hill Chase um, was um, Peter Andre Mysterious Girl. Great. And mine was It's All Right by E17. So similar vibe. Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) Hey, that's one of my karaoke specialities. Me too. I can play it on the piano. So next time we get together, we'll do do it. Oh, great. (laughs) I just love it because what a ballad. And then it just brings it. I know. know? And repetition. Yeah, man. And it's got the classical (laughs) piano intro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we'll do it together Um, one day. I can't wait. (laughs) Um, so Peter but I fell Andre. into playing guitar because, oh yeah, Peter Andre. Um, and then it was Coolio, I See You When You Get There, like just a couple of classics from the, the era. I had it on the CD single, but I also had sort of my parents, like the, 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 the tropes, you know, it's like Dylan and the Beatles and Janis Joplin and, um, you know, 
that kind of back catalogue of just mainstream classics from them, I guess. But just didn't really cut my teeth into sort of like, you know, I was like uncool in a way that um, some people liked the Spice Girls and I still liked, like, I don't know, rock and roll as a kid. And I had, I remember a friend's older brother giving me like a Velvet Underground CD or something. And I was like, just for some reason, I was just very steered down the path very early. Yeah. And I, I got a guitar because my brother got given this the classic kind of 90s, you know, he got a Kmart Strat for Christmas and thought he looked really cool. And um, I can remember he learnt the first couple of chords of Come As You Are and that's all he did. And then I remember just it was, it was this kind of, it was it, and still is, you know, it's, it's this icon, like the actual physicality of having a t- guitar. But I also remember that once he used it as a weapon in like a, this with his kids next door. And I was like, this instrument, you know, what is this mystical thing? And like, he's got this steez with it. He's even played these shit chords over and over again. And eventually, like, because his, you know, level of interest just last five seconds and he just went through the, you know, some other phase, like smoking bongs or something. I just took it. I just got the guitar. And I just kind of sided in that. I was like, you know, I um, got it and then just was more enamoured with it than he was, you know. He awesome. just got sick of it. And, and yeah, so that's how I kind of fell into playing it. And I did have a guitar teacher for a little while in high school and his name was Con. And um, he, again, I was just so, for some reason, the early age, I think just so adverse to really concentrating or learning. I just really didn't want to learn the systems and I was shit at it I didn't have very good learning um ability and so he'd play you know we do riffs or whatever the fuck like um but I would basically just go and play some I just couldn't ever get my head around that and I would just go and play some songs and he was amazing because he would just get me out of class and like listen to my shit song and just be really really kind and you know really just like he would be happily happy to waste the time that's awesome that's so nice that's what you need like someone just to encourage you and like listen to you when you're young yeah and have it not be so here is a formula and you can or cannot you know participate and I mean like uh, later on I really regretted never taking kind of any further opportunities and I've worked hard harder later on because of those kind of big gaps Mm. um just the you know the basic platforms of kind of what most fucking people would just learn in their first music class which I just really resisted against for such a long time yeah um yeah I can relate to that I did that too I think music music theory as a kid is so goddamn boring that you really just like all I wanted to do when I was a kid and I was learning how to play piano and guitar and I learned violin as well. It was just like play songs that I knew. I was like, how can I get far yeah. enough to play the songs that I like? You know, how can I play? It's all right. Yeah. 17. That was like my, yeah. my goal. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's hard because like, you know, if you have some, if you have some, you know, commitment for it or some passion, like I would go home and play a lot, but then I would just end up playing by ear and fudging the rest, you know, or just having this system where you never, um, you put in the hard effort elsewhere. Um, whereas I don't know what teachers, you know, I don't know, being a music teacher would be really hard. Yeah. Um, but there's certain, there's certain combos of people that really get it right. You know, they've got some education in like, you know, the structures inside music and the language of it and some of the mad fucking science behind it even, which is really kind of, 
incredible and would I would have felt like I, I would have been intoxicated by that as a kid if it had been communicated to me in some way that wasn't just this hard thing that you can fuck up yeah you know and not understand I know what you mean but but I think playing by ear and and sort of doing stuff the way that you wanted to do probably helps you now being able to you know play things along with other people and play like playing in any band um, I think that stuff comes from experimenting and being open to new ideas as a kid, yeah. not necessarily playing scales. You probably play the way that you play because you didn't learn scales as a kid. Yeah, and it's true, like, some people get pushed the other way and they, like, get really restricted and hemmed in by those rules. Um, but it was not to, for fucking ages before I really wanted, I kind of opted into it and I realised, like, I don't know, kind of reflecting on different choices in even some of the early bands that I had when I left school and I just handballed the, the lead to the other guy in the band yeah. that could play the lead and I was just like, I'm happy with my, I can I'll, I'll sing and I'll yell a lot and I'll play the chords that I know and I was really safe. Just reflecting on like where, you know, what was going on there and then eventually I just asked a friend and I was like, can you fucking teach me how to play some you know what the hell do you what are you doing up there on the neck you know yeah (laughs) and I sort of had Tom Lincoln uh, you know very patiently just be like fuck yeah I'll show you and he come around once and I don't even think he really so sweet and I would have been you know in my 20 or uh, something like that maybe early 20s and um he very patiently went through like a couple of scales but more just like showing me the confidence to you know, that is a possible thing that you can learn. It's just not magic. It's not fucking come out of the sky. It's like you can you can just get this other point of interest, another access point to what you're playing. Yeah, that's yeah. so cool. And he's so, like such an interesting guitar player as well. It would have been cool to have a lesson from him. He doesn't play it like in a um, conventional way. Absolutely not. But that's kind of the fun part. He was just sort of you know he didn't he wasn't you know like going through you know very rigorously he was just sort of putting little kind of foot footholds in places where he thought it might be interesting or yeah. I think we I don't really remember but it was kind of around the same time where I was starting a band that well, I was playing a band was playing all the time as well so I was able to then just cut sick and put it all into <laughs> just try it all out that's so great to whatever effect <laughs> It's so funny because I think the first time I ever saw you perform was with Harmony, the three most beautiful women that you've ever seen singing like angels um, <laughs> over this like sort of really intense uh, music. And I love Tom and his songwriting. Um, but like the three girls and the harmonies were like so next level over that kind of music. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your experiences in Harmony? Yeah, well, it's easy for me because I I was a fan first. Like I wasn't initially in the band and sort of all in a similar time frame. But basically I think I even opened one of my first Palm Springs solo shows was opening, like bless Tom Lincoln, chuck me a opening spot at their residency. And I think I went under the name Barbara's Bush and played this (laughs) shit set. And then I I just loved the band. I just kind of followed them around and I I think I, I... it was the first festival or something, but I managed to get in there and I drove them there and I took Aww. them to the, I took the first 
their first band photo. But basically, I Amanda went to Berkeley and they asked if I would join while she was overseas. Yeah. And then had this amazing kind of opportunity to just join my favourite band for a bit. So and then, good. um yeah, she, she came back and then it was Tom and Alex's younger sister um, who then left and she kind of went in a different direction. She had enough of the shit touring kind of <laughs> vibes. And, um, yeah, and then I was like, oh, my God, I'm in the band. <laughs> so good. Uh, and, yeah, we'll be ever if in, forever. And, yeah, I mean, it's such, it's such an interesting thing to reflect on something that just sort of develops. Obviously, sort of like the writing of that core is Tom and, this madness that um, him and Alex and John sort of create, it can be so heavy and there's just really technically gifted musicians, but they're yeah. also like really, really in, in their own pocket. Mm. And um, it's funny with such a strange band that's not really in any kind of scene or any genre really that you're just working it out what so- sounds right for that song or band or moment, you know. It's like there's not exactly a rule book. I don't know, it's kind of going above it, but it's, it's funny. How do the vocal arrangements come about in that band? Uh, honestly, it's so last minute. I mean, it's funny, like we we laughingly kind of refer to the three of us as the cosmic bridge, like especially if we're drunk, we'll just be like, <laughs> <laughs> I can fucking read your mind, you know. But it's because we had this sort of like long kind of, couple of tours behind us where we would go and perform in any strange environment that had just been hooked up and it's such a hard thing to do to sing these harmonies and get them right in whatever fallback or crazy system and with such fucking loud music going on even with the drones when we supported the drones we tried in-ear monitors for a little while but just went pear-shaped because shit just goes wrong and suddenly you've just got someone else's voice in your ears and yeah. So we're always just kind of ser- searching for this um, ability to sing alongside this. That's the real. That's the real challenge. And yeah. generally, the, the the harmonies are the last thing. Like it's recordings always just seemingly so. Um, I don't want to say disorganized because that's not the case. But it's always harder than you think, or takes longer than you think. And um, so those guys get their arrangements down and. For the last harmony record, we were just literally like they'd recorded all day with an engineer and it was in a hall in Kyneton, which is like regional Vic. And um Tom would then clock off from recording all day and then be like, okay, ready to record you guys. And it would be like he'd record us into the night when the engineer went home. Wow. And then he would like sleep in the sleep in the hall overnight because he was scared about the gear getting stolen. And then he would wake up and do it all again. Oh and it was God. so hard like silly. <laughs> really hardcore. But I kind of feel like maybe that's if that's maybe how he works best yeah oh yeah <laughs> like I believe that maybe maybe if it was easy he it wouldn't come out the way it does or well something. and it, it obviously like bore you know fruits it was amazing I love that record yeah it's, it's and I have no idea like next time we record we maybe will be like maybe we should make sure you have time to have a few hours sleep or whatever but <laughs> <laughs> Maybe then we'll just have a really like we'll have a record of lullabies and no one we don't want that. So <laughs> that might be nice though. We'll see. I'd listen to that. Um, so can you tell me a bit about how um, like what's the relationship like with Tropical Fuckstorm or how is it different to Harmony? How those songs come together? It's pretty different. I feel like the band family 
like the reason that bands are so fascinating kind of come about and just their own funny little units is just the the very particular minute parts of personalities and energies that end up with these strange results you know Mm. this is a funny alchemy of um the weird people involved so every it's really different process I mean for for the most part I mean I'm not really I'm not involved in harmony songwriting process apart from we add our harmonies Mm. we add our vocal parts We, we make we make contributions um in terms of structure sometimes in the demos and stuff but really that's what the band are fleshing out there and and then it's kind of handballed and we can participate in any way. Like we have lots of funny discussions about it, but sometimes we're adding lyrics or vocal lines or choosing a direction of the song kind of because it, you know, just ends up that we end up singing the chorus or something. But for the most part, it's sort of like those songs are written. And um, uh, with TFS, it's, it's largely, I mean, it's kind of changed in every record and they've gotten kind of more collaborative I, I think just as that we know each other better and we've played so many shows and I feel like um that's where the good stuff comes from you know you're, you're in each other's pockets and you understand your sensibilities and um TFS is a bit of a different unit because you know Gaz is generally the, the workhorse there just by nature of you know that's who he is and he's also got the keys to our hard drive which is basically all of our old sessions of demos where we, we he loves going through stuff that we've fucked up a session and then we've put it in the bank and he'll go back later and be like that was actually good and we got to learn that how we did it badly yeah and do it again and make this that's the bed of the song and he's kind of that's his jam and he, he likes you know and you know Good. I'm so grateful because I'm not fucking going to be sitting around looking through a hard drive of mistakes, but <laughs> he kind of, he likes weird stuff. Um, How do you go about like learning the mistakes? Sometimes it's nearly impossible. Like some of the new, some of the new album, particularly like give a fuck fatigue. I mean, we are learning it at the moment. Um, I don't know if it will get out live. Like it's pretty close. It's, it's a different sort of thing, but it's, but just as an example, like that, initial drum sequence was an error that was made out of a synth that was just a fuck up and then kind of saved and then looped and then we're like that's where the cool stuff is um and also a mixture of another weird pedal Gaz has called the Miku pedal which created some of the kind of um I guess some of the scales that we ended up using in the middle eight and so I guess that's the initial funny part sometimes you know there's already something to hang your hat on you know, whereas, I mean, ModCon is not like that at all. It's much more like we're really relying on our own, just our instruments, basically. Yeah. There's no post-production, but it's just a really different um, palette of or just selection of ingredients, really. Yeah, it's so cool that you can do all three. You have such different, like, abilities to be able to maintain three bands that are so different and so interesting in their own way yeah it's fun and I mean the it's funny when you get it I mean I'm sort of like not doing a great job explaining but like you know with TFS as well sometimes it's like you it gets a bit esoteric but you know there'll be a concept of the song or whatever or something that we've talked about or like a, a line might pop up and it's like yeah that's that reminds me of this and then somehow the song will kind of get its own little framework 
and then it's just like piling it in and Gaz is really amazing at just being really he just chucks in the details that's quite formidable um but you know you're working towards a kind of a concept in a way like the song is not that's what it's it sort of has a purpose kind of early on yeah the song's about this and then it sounds as though it's that and then along the way there's sort of happy accidents maybe yeah and just trying to pile in as much shit or like as you know trying to um uh keep it interesting yeah 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 and chuck in all the fun stuff we're doing and all the mad there's enough time for about a million thousand lyrics all yeah. the rest of it you know it's so cool I've, re- I've been really loving the new album actually I think um what's that song called the reporting of a failed campaign yeah um it's such a good song I love that there's um there's that weird synth line that's qu- quite low in the mix but it sounds like like that's an interesting one because that was one of the last ones written and we really didn't you know I'm just kind of um undermining what I just said but that one it was not clear for that yeah. one, what it was about uh and I think Gaz had an idea he wanted a lot of different chess pieces involved he wanted characters he wanted it, it had a trajectory but that synth line was kind of where it started and it was a little bit harder to work out where it could go because it could mm. have gone so many different ways because you know really it's kind of just campfire chords in a way but the sequence is quite weird and then we added these breakdowns which are at odds with the synth riff because the synth riff is the same yeah. and it has the same pattern. And then we added we added the breakdowns, had to do them live, and that was hard to actually get that to, to work. It's so cool. Um, I can't wait to see how you guys do that one live. That's going to be really exciting. I, I hope we can. <laughs> You'll be great. No. I mean, that was one also where my guitar, like I was, my guitar takes for most of that song is I'm just chucking stuff at it yeah. and then pulling up the volume. And I'm only in on every, like, second or, yeah, sporadically. Anyway, we'll figure yeah. it out. I can't wait. <laughs> we'll try for what you. Are, are you still, um, still going to do keys live? I hope so. Um, there's a bit of changing around. Um, like, there are less songs, I guess, that I put synth on the record, but... Um, it's all just such an all in when we play. Mm. And the one that is really changing things around is New Romeo because Gaz plays keys on that. Oh, cool. And we're trying to work out, um, and I play bass, and Fiona actually plays this other synth. So, oh, great. We're trying to, we're trying to work out how that is going to look. Gaz, um, he does, yeah, we're trying to, I'm like, get a guitar, man. Just yeah, do get it. a fucking guitar. <laughs> That'd be great. It's not over the line yet, but that's why I'm angling. I would love that so much if you guys all had keytas. Can you imagine? Yeah. That would be oh, I can. So <laughs> I can too. Yeah, I want that. I'll start campaigning. Um, yeah, please. We can report on my Hashtag failed keytar. campaign. <laughs> are, you, um, are you still playing the OP1? Yeah, so the OP, it has had a bit of a bashing because it's been doing, it's just been used in the springtime recording and I'm scared to go and look in the bank to yeah. see. It could all just be deleted. Um, but that's all right. I feel like there were samples and stuff that, and the spots weren't too hard. But, yeah, I have been playing that on tour. It's a good little 
machine last time you guys came here i think you guys were having issues with it and you asked me if i had one and i didn't but i have Ah. one now so next time you come and your op1's breaking you can use mine (laughs) great great yeah well it will be on the fritz i mean it's just not (laughs) looked after the long and the short of it so i mean we'll look after yours (laughs) yeah of course i mean they're, they're made for a bit of a bashing i think they're pretty tough little guys yeah, I have to admit, like, I'm not, I like it, but I didn't spend the time that I probably should have, like, really learning how to, um, the ins and outs, like, yeah. and a lot of the time when people are talking to me, I'm just playing the helicopter game. Yeah. Do you know that? Yeah. Because I'm just like, you know, it's just like a little Nintendo. You play the, there's a helicopter in there and, whoops, you crash. And then I'm like, what are you saying to me? You know? I know. So, I, f- I feel like there's so many secrets in that little keyboard that um sometimes it'll mm. take you a while to find those things. But that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to ask you a bit about your vocal heroes because you have such a beautiful voice and quite um uh, recognizable, I reckon, in all of your bands. Um, do you have any any people that you like kind of look up to? as a vocalist uh I don't know I feel like I mean the classics like Roy Orbison or you know some of the things that are just those people that you realize are kind of cornerstones of like what you probably grew up singing or listening to um I have to think about it I mean I kind of just get enamored with um like people you know this is going to sound really weird, but just singers that you can just really tell that that they're just, it's their voice Mm. sort of thing. Yeah. You can just really tell that they're singing from the heart for want of a better word. And, um, you know, I kind of, I'm always just sort of listening out for that and find that that's what I get obsessed about. If I'm obsessed about a particular song or whatever. Um, but in terms of like vocal heroes, I don't, I don't think so. I always look around people singing live, and um, I mean, thinking about like crazy vocalists. I mean, just even the people that are in the band, like Tom or Gaz, and singing under crazy duress. <laughs> They've both um, got really extraordinary voices, actually. Yeah, singing in a way that's not. Um, I'm, I was, I almost said unhinged. I don't mean unhinged. I mean just like unrestrained you know it's like yeah. suddenly your voice is doing that you really wouldn't expect it could be able to do and all the n- nuance in that you know um totally Karen Dalton is a singer that I've o- yes. always loved in I like love a folk her. sense you know her um just the kind of uh trying to think of like non-cliche ways of describing it but just you know straight down the line um, you can tell it's just the deliveries. She's so so present in what she's singing. So, so captivating. I love that too. Do you think you sing from the heart? Um, I think so. I feel like there's always a way, like I just sing all the time and sometimes I hear what I've sung and I'm like, oh, that's so weird. <laughs> like when I'm li- li- listening to recordings of songs and, and stuff. Um but, but yeah, I, I generally um, like I did a Palmer Springs recording a few years ago, and 
just tried to basically get everything and there was no vocal effects and just trying to get everything in like the first take and stuff as a kind of challenge, you know, like a kind of warts and all mm. situation and kind of in some ways that was sort of confronting but in other ways it was just the most awesome thing to do. I think people can really obsess over singing and vocal takes and, you know, perfection and um, that's that's a cool jam as well in some parts, but um, I find it really weird um, when I put myself in that situation because I just you just lose sight of what you're singing. You just I just get a bit lost, you know. I get a bit unmoored. Yeah. If you're trying too hard, it's just um, you just not. I don't know. It just doesn't mean anything or something. Um, but yeah, there's a funny kind of. Everyone's got a weird journey with that, I think. Like, I feel like a lot of people I talk to don't really love their own voices either. There's like an ongoing journey of trying to get better or trying to feel better about, yeah, their output and stuff. I find that really interesting as well. Yeah, it's so strange. I mean, it really is. It's in your head. Like, it's funny when you sing and then, you know, really your, your voice or like your breath is from your heart. And I mean, I'm sounding like a full on cooked hippie, <laughs> but it's like, it's just this funny interplay. It's like literally th- those two things having a weird time. Yeah. And if you get too existential or put too much kind of onus on either one, it kind of comes out a bit weird. But um, I'm more, I'm more worried. Sometimes I just worry about the longevity of my voice. I just feel like I haven't. It's just in my own personal, like I just have never cared enough for my voice and it's mm. just like never been taught how to sing. So yeah, me and either. I'm just generally on yelling my head off all day long yeah. and, you know, <laughs> um, I, I sometimes wonder. <laughs> <laughs> you're very good. Just and fucking... if you can get through a long tour, then you're doing something right. Yeah, well, I had a few bouts of um, one tour, ModCon did a France and uh, just before, just the very end of that Deep States recording, I full on lost my voice. And this hasn't ever happened before, but um, there was just two incidents where I had like a shit cold, um, you know, pre-COVID it was in France and I just got a cold and went over on the plane and I was on the plane like with no voice, like I couldn't even say like gin and tonic, like I was oh, trying no. to. And I got to the festival and I was like I could barely make a fucking peep and this French doctor prescribed me with all these hectic steroids and I bounced back and got my voice back but I kind of just that's my new it's really boring but it's like you know the health part of of, of music you know it's like how are, are you treating yourself are you really like just working out that balance as well it's been strange well I think that's the thing is like balancing having a good time on tour and looking after yourself And I also think that, um, I don't know, I've been talking more and more to people about that, about like trying to be healthy and getting older and going to bed early and, you know, all of that stuff, which is so hard to do when you're on tour because you just get carried away with whatever, um, whatever you're doing. Yeah. But I also find another thing that relates to that is um, like your identity as a musician as you get older changes so much. And I think those things contribute to that. I mean, for sure. It's music and I mean I'm sure it happens in in lots of different areas but music especially and I don't even know if it's more especially like particularly locally it's like there's not many career paths that have this kind of longevity that you can look to 
see what happens at the end you know it's just like there's so much kind of onus on just being this fire cracking energy and then whatever happened you know like it, it running out and people kind of trying to maximize on that little window of time yeah maybe and it's it is funny when you kind of stay the course of something or um there are other options beyond that or whatever and just working out what that looks like um because you know so it's like this weird punk ethic as well like when you're on stage you're just you're giving a hundred percent all the time it doesn't matter if there's 10 people in the crowd or it's just not really about that at all it's more about what's happening internally in the band or in your own brain or when you're playing or whatever um so it is funny getting on and being like you know how long can I do this for <laughs> Yeah, or, or more like, can I do this and also look after myself? Yeah. Or what does that look like? Or can I can I play a show and, you know, don't have to, like, you know, I don't want to fucking bust my, I'm, I'm busting my gut every time, but I don't want to, you know, hurt my fucking self. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. Well, I hope that you get to do it for a really long time because <laughs> I can't wait to see what you do next. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'm in it. I'm healthy. I'm good. <laughs> I'm worried that I you have to go take your dog to the vet. Oh, yeah, I do soon. I do. And so I want to ask you my last question, which is the question that I ask everyone. Um, can you tell me either your worst, your strangest, your most embarrassing show story, whatever story you got? I'd love to hear it. Well, I had to dig deep because I read it as, yeah, your most embarrassing story. And I thought, like, fuck, there's so many stories that I can tell. But I really didn't want to go. Like, I could tell you the one where, like, you know, I flashed my bare ass to 2,000 French people <laughs> or one time when I had my, a necklace get caught on my guitar strap and almost, like, fully necked myself and, like, oh, fully. But I was, like, to really go deep embarrassing, like, to the real cringe zone, I'm just going to go back to when I was very first a busker like as a child with my oh, friend um oh like 13 12 13 14 15 even so this was a bit of a stint yeah but like early days and we were hey, Belgrave Lilydale was our line on the train we go to like Ringwood Station Nana Wanning Station Blackburn Station just and then one day we we're like playing we had hits like sorry for the way I am and like all this emo <laughs> team it was like really it was sick I want to hear that but then <laughs> I can play it still. Uh, but then one day we we're like, let's go into the, let's go into town. We'll just make some cash. We'll go busking. And I had my guitar painted, uh, guitar case painted gold, and it was like a really big part of my identity. I think my hair was purple or red or something. It's like a horrible teen cringe. But then we went into town, and then trying to busk all these places, and it was like Burke Street Mall had this hectic scene of buskers who had cds and stuff and they had a whole setup and they're like you can't busker you've got to have a special permit we're like well we've got to get a permit <laughs> oh no and then we're like all right we'll fuck off we won't play there we tried playing other places and people were just ignoring us Aww. and then finally um no it's embarrassing it's funny then finally we i went i was like i know where to go like we'll get all the peak hour we sing our songs to all the business people coming home and we went to Parliament Station in the underground and um, just started singing my little heart out. I think it was like Vic Runga or Natalie Umbrella Torn or something and then <laughs> they just fucking chucked the house music up. Like people no. in the train station were just like, <laughs> they were just like, oh, this, this, this childish 
walked up and they just put the house music on and it was literally like they were saying just go home and I was like that's heartbreaking I was I was was mortified but I was also just like fuck you (laughs) I'm never coming back (laughs) you shit station <laughs> yeah, fully. I was like, I know. I'll go back to Nana Wedding Station. Oh, and, you know. That's so great. So, yeah, <laughs> deep. A really embarrassing chapter that I'd prefer to forget, to be honest. But hey. That's probably why you're so cool and tough now, is because you're like, you knew <laughs> yeah. that you're worth listening to and you knew that back then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got a, just got a thick skin. That's yeah, all man. that happened. Thank you so much for chatting to me. And um, we'll yeah, t- I'll see pleasure. you when you come to Brizzy, hopefully. Yeah, it's really soon. I can't wait. All right. Awesome. I'll see you then. Thanks so much, babe. See ya. 